In the name of Allah, most gracious, ever merciful, welcome, good morning. Assalamu alaikum, may the peace and blessings <coughs> of Allah be upon you all on Monday morning, 8th of August 2022. Where has the year gone? It has been a year <coughs> since the last uh, United Kingdom annual convention was held, and this weekend, Ahmadis from around the world um, and UK. Um, attended physically for the first time and virtually from more than 50 countries around the world. Um, the annual convention which was held in Alton and uh, heartiest congratulations to everyone for this fantastic um, event that uh, rejuvenizes and, and, and kind of recharges the batteries. And, it, and, and it's an event where you meet old friends and this time round it was kind of more than it'd been more than three years even though there was a, there was a skeleton event last year because it was just coming out of the pandemic but this year it was that but a bit more even though restrictions were there but there were more people there were some more familiar faces that you saw from afar and 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 um and, and it brought joy um, when you saw new people some sad moments because you hear of people who are not amongst us anymore. Um, but uh, and, and it brings back memories. For me, it uh, it was also a case of you realize time's moving on, and you know it's it's one of those it's one of those events where you 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 want to do that much more because you you haven't been able to do anything for three years on these events run around be part of um you know be part of this spiritual event um and you look forward to meeting these new people and and it it was exactly and more than what you actually ever think and the time flies so quickly that uh, when the event comes to an end you can't help but um um you know think well where what happened to 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 the last three days with the date with where did they disappear and as i said it is a monday morning it is what you call the morning after um the event and uh it's uh um it, and it's 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 strange because um suddenly from an a a a venue where you you were amongst around 30 or thousand people and suddenly there is this eerie silence um, but uh, there is that positivity that there was a fantastic event and uh, plans are being put in place already uh, for the next event where, God willing, um, you know, it, we won't be talking about 15, 20 um, and 30,000 people. We'll be talking about 50,000 people who will be attending the annual convention and there will be more millions and millions of people who will be tuning in virtually or through Muslim television Ahmadiyya or listening um, <clears throat> listening through um, the various uh, Ahmadiyya radio stations and Voice of Islam radio stations be it in Canada, Mali, in Ghana, in Burkina Faso uh, you know in the north of England um, in Germany, in Turkey, um, and yes, fantastic uh, that so many more and more radio stations are being established around the world by the Ahmadiyya community to and, and making sure that 
the beautiful message, the peaceful message of Voice of Islam um, is being heard um, in in corners where, um, you know, man still, yes, even in this day and age, there are some areas where man cannot reach and radio is playing that role. Um, You are listening to The Breakfast Show um, on uh, on Voice of Islam with myself, Kayoum, and uh, we are going to be talking about Yet again, as always, every morning, two fantastic topics, very relevant um, to to the challenges that the that the world is facing um, in in the, these dire circumstances that um, are coming up, and we are seeing the beginning of them. From seven thirty onwards, we're going to be talking about how sharing homelessness stories aids others in the same situation. I mean, homelessness is is a is, is a problem that used to be kind of um, um, a, a headline story, but uh, you know, as uh, with any other story, uh, the, the unfortunate part, the unfortunate side of mainstream media is that they pick on a story, they run with it for a few, for a little while, and then it kind of finds the the you know it it runs it uh, <coughs> it runs out of shelf life and um, and and the story disappears. But what happens is that these kind of uh, real life stories real life people who get affected by homelessness kind of get forgotten so we're going to be talking about how you know um sharing their their, their stories and experiences helps people and from quarter past 8 we're going to be talking about um again a very hot topic um there are it's it's a political topic it's a social topic it's a worrying topic um it's a topic that affects all of us um and it it's also a topic which um, is very black and white, um, or that's how the media paints it. We're going to be talking about the Rwanda asylum policy and whether MPs, um, and where MPs have said that there is no evidence that uh, this policy works. But before we do that, let's go and have a look at what the papers are saying this morning. Um, the The Telegraph, um, or let's see, where should we start? Oh, man, papers, 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 papers. Uh, let's start with uh, the broadsheets. It's always better to start with the broadsheet. The Telegraph says the Health Secretary Steve Barclay is warning that the NHS is facing a winter emergency and measures to avert a crisis must be taken now rather than waiting for a new Prime Minister. He's saying that, uh, he, well, he's actually ordered civil servants to prepare proposals to significantly increase overseas recruitment of staff. Um, it's so strange that we sit here and we talk of recruitment of uh, staff from where overseas, yet not not more than you know not more than well just over six years ago, we had decided that we were full. We had decided that all these people who had come from uh, from other nations to come and help build our economy and and to help. Uh, to to come and train staff and to come and uh, and assist our economy and assist our country in filling jobs that other people weren't willing to do or weren't qualified to do, um, and we closed the door to them. And now six years on, um, we're 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 looking to significantly increase overseas recruitment. Uh, Mr. Barclay believes recruitment could be expanded by hiring some countries which train more nurses than they need, including India, Sri Lanka, and the Philippines. He says social care could also benefit from bringing in a foreign workers. Look, it's not about it's not about pointing fingers at you did this. 
you know, I never, ever understand um, that when, you know, our decision makers, they're human beings. Wrong decisions get made. Populist decisions get made. But in reality, you know, it's more human and it's more humbling when a when when governments or ministers or irrespective of which which side of the floor you're on because there seems to be this this notion that uh, you know it's because it's a populist demand and and this notion that it was the will of the people that you know it's just not going to happen again and but but in reality if one was to look at this country where we have never had such high employment in this country ever yet you know, I mean, I, I think economically speaking, and I'm sure somebody will call and correct me, that economically speaking, we're nearly full. We're, we're, we're nearly on full employment, yet we have more than three million vacancies in this country, which just which are we, we just are not able to to fill because so many people, so many millions of people who left this country because they were just so unsure of uh, of any of their futures you know we had a modern day edm in moment um you know people who were affected by drastic policies that were made by by leaders in the past instead of learning from them we made same mistakes because of uh, lack of lack of thinking we thought globalization was the problem and we thought isolation was the solution fine if that was the case 6 years ago nobody is saying go back and join eu again but there are compromises, things like single market, where it will allow people to think positively about our country. It will allow people to come into our country and it will allow them to work and pay taxes and and kind of, you know, build the economy. In order to build the economy, you need people to pay taxes. It's That's the key. Um, so, you know, one hopes that uh, um, we, we do get uh, leaders who you know, are, are willing to say, you know what, we made a mistake, but we're willing to rectify it. We're willing to look at options um, instead of going down um, a populist uh, mindset because, um, you know, it was the will of the people. The Independent uh, website reports that the health uh, service buckles under surging demand. Police officers are being forced to respond to ambulance calls. I mean, I mean, just, just think that. Police officers who are supposed to uphold the law that's what they're trained for, are being forced to respond to ambulance calls. What in God's name is a policeman who probably has, yes, um, you know, some some uh, um, some training to, or, or in some cases, zero training, but they are having to respond to ambulance calls. The Chief Inspector Constabulary, Andy Cook, says officers are spending up to a third of their time on non-police work, which is hampering efforts to tackle crime. So, um, a third of a police officer's time in in a in a country where there is a severe shortage of police officers where the public is 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 worried about um safety there in and we are living in times where um law is important um yet it's uh, it's 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 uh, it's a situation where police officers just aren't able to do just policing they're having to look at or to do things which are not related to their jobs um you know the the moving on to to uh, leaders as i was talking about them um and uh, we are going to be choosing our next uh, well when i say we are 
the Conservative Party members um, are going to be choosing our next leader or the next Prime Minister for the, at least for the next two years. Um, but uh, a poll has been commissioned or was, was commissioned by the Times, which indicates that 64% of voters believe that the government should concentrate on reducing inflation and only 17% believe tax cuts should be a priority. Again, going down the populist route where when this contest was going on, a lot of candidates talked about we're going to be doing tax cuts and and it will bring us a short-term remedy. But, you know, governments always must think long-term. And it's strange that one of the candidates, we got to a point where now we have two candidates. One talks about tax cuts, one talks about, uh, you know, cutting inflation. And, you know, economically speaking, um, and and looking at things in a rational way, it is clear that if you cut taxes, you can only do that and it will only have an effect for a short term and th- the pain will be long term. Yet, if one was to cut inflation, which is the the root cause of uh, uh, of the cost of living or is part and parcel of the root cause, then yes, the pain, the short term pain will be a little bit longer. But in the long term, it will if you if you look to to remedy the the the, uh, the root problem, then your your in, in your your suffering will um, will be less from a long-term perspective, if that makes sense, if one was to kind of apply a bit of rational thinking to that. And, and you know, the the, the, the paper uh, describes the poll of nearly 2,000 people as a warning to the front-runner in the Conservative leadership contest, Liz Truss, who has promised to reduce taxes. According to The Times, um, Rishi Sunak is preparing to announce measures he would implement to help people with energy bills during the winter. And this is something, you know, everybody talks about the energy crisis, and I find it frustrating because what they don't do is they don't put a number. They don't they don't talk about figures. They talk about your bills are going to double. Your bills are going to go up by 50%. Your bills, the price cap is going to go up in October. And then now they're talking about it, yet there's going to be another uh, hike in your energy bills in January. That doesn't help people. In fact, it confuses um, the situation even more it starts bringing worries in people's heads and look it, and it is it's important that people you know the people budget and finance and start saving now or change their habits in respect of how they use their energy because we already know that what you were paying last year today has gone up by at least 50 60 percent we know what we are paying so if you're paying a hundred pound um, a month, uh, you know, in April, now you're probably paying 160, 170 pound a month. In in uh, in, uh, in in October, that's likely to probably go up even further, maybe to up to 200 to 20. These are ballpark figures. These are, you know, hypothetically speaking, I'm not giving you here exact figures. I'm just using as an example. But that 200, 250 that will go up, that will go in, in October will probably hit 300 or three. You know, will go above. Uh, 300 come January so whatever you were paying last year this time you need to multiply that by three to four times that is what um, experts who uh, and and charities and 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 uh, and uh, uh, people and organizations and individuals who are out there looking to save people money and and to to kind of warn them about um, the, you know the 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 price hikes um, 
that's what they're saying that it it will be um it will be it will be very very difficult for people and i mean you know um some tabloids have talked about how britain faces a national economic emergency i mean you know that's equivalent to saying it's a state of emergency people are not going to be not not going to be able to afford to live you know there's going to be soaring bankruptcies unemployment people are talking i just said we are living in a country where there is there is high it's never been so so high employment rate yet this crisis can can turn it and and we can we're going to be hitting a recession some people say technically we are in a recession unemployment is going to come back up poverty and homelessness is going to be increasing and we we talk about increasing but yet what we don't realize is over the years homelessness as i mentioned earlier our topic of the morning is something that we haven't spoken about so it's been increasing every day and every week and every month and every year slowly slowly it's been increasing anyway and this is going to kind of make it that much more worse poverty the number of people we talk we we always talk in a, and of course i understand it's positive to talk about solutions and when we when we look at some poverty you know rates coming down but what we don't do is 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 look at po- these kind of challenges societal challenges which when they are hitting you know rock bottom um and so wh- even though over the years there might have been some figures were saying poverty is going down but in real terms more and more uh, families more and more children are are living um in in this country one of the richest economies in the world where you know there's there's the the number of food banks food banks have become a norm i mean isn't that a shame that that we we talk of food banks now as part and parcel of our everyday conversation we talk about when we do our shopping we talk about oh i'm going to buy that little bit more and these are the people the communities who run food banks that is become a norm that when i go down to the shop and when i'm doing my shopping i'm going to think well okay i'm going to buy a little bit more because i'm going to give that to the food bank that is government thinking which is being led by the people that's the thinking that the government needs to apply instead of populist opinion which on in the in on a broader basis is actually going to affect people's lives affect the the, the you know what's the called the bottom dollar of the country and it's it's it, the mind boggles that uh, that that uh, you know political leaders around the world are are not really looking at long term and as i said um, you know it's 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 uh, we we are getting to a point where um the well i suppose the positive thing of where we are today is communities are still uh, alive people are still caring for each other and that's going to be paramount in in the coming months and and eight uh, you know coming year 8 15 to 18 months is what everybody talks about how we're we going to be hitting a recession and a recession if if uh, you know people of people like me dinosaurs like me know um what a recession is and and it's not a pretty picture um you know we've had good good 20 years um of economic growth and low interest rates and and uh, now interest rates are going up and we've only hit 1.75% um and uh, you know bank of england are trying the old methods of increasing interest rates to see if they can curb inflation one hopes and prays that it does work 
um, the, the way things are going. Um, I doubt it will have a long-term effect, but again, one hopes and prays that it does um, It does make a difference. Um, moving on to The Guardian, where it's reporting that Dominic Raab is planning to curb judges' powers and make it harder to bring successful legal challenges against the government in England and Wales. Again, this goes back to the, the second part of our show this, this, uh, this morning, uh, where we're going to be talking about the Rwandan policy, and a lot of people have taken legal action against the government to curb or, or to stop um, this this uh, this this policy, which um, again allegedly is um, is Ill- is illegal under international law. So the government, instead of looking at um, humanitarian policies in a humane way, they are looking at um, um, you know the, the the people who do have um, humanity in their hearts and in their minds, and they're looking to shut them down instead of shutting down the policy. So you know again that just demonstrates the 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 way the world is at the moment. Um, Guardian goes on to say that it's been, it has seen a, a document suggesting that they want to limit ministers' accountability in judicial reviews. The Ministry of Justice said um, it will not be commenting on leaked papers. Financial Times says Western capitals are increasing alarm at deepening ties between the Turkish president um, Tayyip Erdogan and his Russian counterpart Vladimir Putin. Um, the paper says officials are concerned about the pledge by the two leaders to expand cooperation on trade energy. Some are even raising the risk of retaliatory measures against Turkey if it helps Russia evade sanctions imposed because of the invasion of Ukraine. So let's look at this. So one person who was creating peace, irrespect, let's not look at who he is and what he is, but there's this one country who has managed to to find a middle ground between two countries at war. And because of the peace that they've created, grain has been able to leave this area so so, so it can tackle the supply chain of grain um, going to countries around the world. So instead of praising um, uh, Mr. Erdogan, again, not about rights and wrongs. It's about a person who has done uh, or has seen to be done something good. We are going to be looking to tear them down, tear them down as well, because seemingly they are not from the developed world, the so-called free developed world, and and because we have suspicious about them. And as I said, it's not about right and wrong; it's all about populism now. So I think you know, um, again, leaders in the free world need to kind of, um, you know, have a bit of uh, show a bit of humbleness, um, irrespective. And I'll keep on saying it. I'm not talking about any particular. Uh, any particular party here I'm talking across the board similarly you know uh, we talk about Ukraine there's been a war three days war in, in, in the Gaza Strip again yet nobody talks about it and this is one of the reasons why people just do not have any faith in mainstream media is led by governments that they you know news is supposed to be reported as it is it's news unbiased but we are living in we are living at a time where it's not just our political um, leaders from across the board, but also a mainstream media which is driving the narrative of what people should be looking at and what should be believing, what is true, what is not true. You know, it's not reporting something which is um, clearly having and will clearly have an effect on on the region, like it always does. Um, and uh, you know, th- again, nobody's going to be. We're, we're on Voice of Islam. It's never about who's right and wrong. 
uh, in respect of taking sides. It's about reporting what is happening and, and, and looking for solutions. And it's been decades since uh, this, uh, you know, th- th- these things get reported um, or don't get reported. And what it does is when you don't report and something does come up out in other parts of the social media, then obviously people uh, people are forced in, in, a, in, in a way to take sides, which doesn't help these situations. So, yes, there has been um, apparently preemptive strike is how is, is the word that gets used on Gaza Strip again. And I'll be honest with you, you know what? I don't care about, um, uh, you know... Um, uh, who, which, what, what policy, what has, and and who, um, um, you know, Islamic Jihad in in Palestine or Lebanon or or who are doing. This. All I know is that I see pictures of innocent women, old people, and children who die, who have who have no access to water, food. In a, in in twenty twenty two, this is the norm that people people just allow things to happen. And they say nothing. They do nothing, because it's it's become we we're, we're learning and and we're becoming accustomed to living in a in a in a uh, in a culture and being it all about me myself and I, which it just isn't a solution. Um, the paper uh, goes on uh, to to talk about how. Um, People are looking to uh, to, to look at uh, uh, this policy uh, that Turkey has uh, has kind of uh, agreed between Ukraine and Russia that they're going to be start to kind of go through it with a fine tooth comb to see if there are any uh, benefits that Turkey might get. Uh, you're listening to the breakfast show. We have already gone past our allocated time. Um, you're listening to the breakfast show with myself, Kayum. It is coming on to seven thirty-five. No, sorry, seven thirty-seven. We're going to take a quick break, and when we uh, come back, we're going to go on to our first topic of the morning, which is about homelessness. Do stay tuned. Grab yourself a cup of coffee, um, or you know, while you're at it, have a toast in my name. Put some germ on it, um, and uh, and uh, we'll be right back after a very short break. 1400 years ago, the Holy Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of God be upon him, claimed that the promised Messiah of all faiths would appear to the east of Damascus. It is recorded in writing that around 100 years ago, this Messiah, sitting in an unknown, undeveloped Indian village, which lay on the same latitude to the east of Damascus, no less, received the following revelation in the Arabic language, Bala Dimash, meaning destruction in Damascus. He prophesied the First and Second World Wars, and he also predicted that a great war would start from here. It is no secret that the Syrian civil war is the biggest crisis of our time. A conservative estimate states that over half of a million people have been killed since the Syrian civil war started in 2011. However, the number is sure to be significantly higher. Similarly, it is estimated that 11 million Syrians have fled the country since the war began. The pre-war population has been estimated to be 22 million. With different factions on the ground, including American, Russian, and Syrian government troops, Syrian rebels, and ISIS, this has become an international arena of death a de facto playground for world war. 
Although world war and the crisis in Syria are signs of his truthfulness, the promised Messiah abhorred bloodshed and violence and instead claimed that he had come to end religious wars. He said that he loved mankind with the same love that a mother loves her child, nay, even more so. What mother would not sacrifice her own peace and well-being for the sake of her child? So, one can only imagine how much the promised Messiah loved mankind. An expression of his love are his timeless words which he desired to be a means of salvation for those he loved, that is, all of humanity. It is a fire, but all those shall be saved from that fire who love God, the doer of wonders. Good morning and welcome back to Monday Morning Breakfast Show. It's 8th of August 2022, coming up to 7.43am. On to the first segment of the morning, which is how sharing homelessness stories aids others in the same situation. Um, this is uh, The gist of this story is that Glyn Marie, uh, Glyn Marie Frost's story on homelessness has resulted in more women seeking help um, and uh, resulted in more women seeking help and this shows that sharing these stories has a good influence on homeless people and allows them the confidence to come forward and seek help basically the summary of this article which appeared in the guardian um, is that um, uh, that they reported a story from a former sydney public relations executive who became homeless at 60 years old she said that telling her story made other women similar to her um, relate to her. Glenn Marie Frost, who is 73 years old, lived in a mansion in Bellevue Hill and she has managed an international PR company and was head of communication and community relations for the Sydney Olympics. As told to The Guardian, she was married to a wealthy property executive which ended in debt and divorce and with no assets. This ultimately led her to become unwell and uh, having to close a business and thus becoming homeless. She told New, Wales, New South Wales Parliamentary Inquiry into homelessness that she lives in public housing in inner Sydney's... Um, well, I'm sure people do forgive me. It's this uh, public housing in inner Sydney's um, Mulu, And this is an area... Um, if I have uh, mispronounced that, uh, do give me a call, 0208-687-7878, or let me know if I'm correct or incorrect on our social media platforms at Voice of Islam, at Voice of Islam, Voice of Islam UK, or email us, uh, you know, the correct pronunciation on www.voiceofislam.co.uk. Um, she decided to share her story and proceed to be contacted by other women in similar situations reaching out for help. Becoming homeless um, has no discrimination, she told the inquiry. Most of these women come from suburban, normal lifestyles. Um, Caitlin McDowell, the head of the policies at the Community Housing um, Industry Association, uh, said that census data showed that there were 37,000 uh, homeless people in, in uh, NSW, uh, which I'm presuming North South Wales or New South Wales, and uh, more than 100,000 in Australia. Research included that uh, this area needs at least 317,600 new properties for social and affordable housing. That particular research was commissioned before COVID-19. We know that the situation will be deteriorated quite substantially since then. 
Um, the Guardian also was told that uh, she said that the red tape involved in applying for public housing also meant waiting lists were concealing a myriad of problems. It's the same. Um, th- this is the same across the board. Um, you know, in 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 all parts of the in all parts of the world, where um, homelessness is uh, is as I mentioned earlier, is becoming um, a more and more of a, of, a, of an issue, and. Uh, um you know there there are um there are there are deeper um problems which are hidden away um uh, th- th- which are hidden away in uh, in statistics in red tape um people aren't able to come forward people who are in situations where they're not uh, they're not able to come out and and um, and uh, and and report these things. I I have had experience of working in housing, in United Kingdom, and you know there's this there's this uh, there's this term that gets used in the United Kingdom called hidden households or hidden homelessness, where people who are ill, people who have mental health problems, people who are in abusive relationships, people who are victims of domestic violence, people, um, you know, people who. Um, uh, uh, are are unable to come forward um, because of financial situations, because they have because of their children. Um, people, for so many reasons, um, they are not able to to come forward. Uh, people who have fear, um, uh, people who are um, unaware of the system, um, people who are scared because the system is not designed. Um, to welcome them. In fact, the system is designed in a way that it will push them away because it's not the need of the person which is important, but it's the provision, the resources of that local authority which is given priority. Um, and which I can, to a certain degree, understand because that there are so many. There's only so many provisions and resources that you know any organization, be it government or private, that they have. Um, and and of course, th- there will never be enough. But there is, you know, there needs to be uh, that human touch. There needs to be compassion for people who are in need, um, and and you know the 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 provisions and the resources that some organisation might have, um, um, as much is very relevant and important. But they need to be secondary to the need of the individual, um, because so many so many people. Are, um, are you know get themselves in trouble? Um, you know, in this country there is such a huge um, um, there, there's such a huge problem of of uh, teenage homelessness. You know, um, and what uh, governments tend to do because they look at things that they are eyesore, they move people on. I remember there was a time when you, one was to go to Central London and Charing Cross. There used to be something called cardboard city, and people just got used to saying the word cardboard city. Because, and what was it? Cardboard City is exactly that where people used to live in makeshift, small cardboard um, um, kind of shelters, and they used to sleep in it at night. That was their dwelling. That was their abode. That was their home. And I remember with the Amdi Muslim community um, in, in the days where the Amdi Muslim Youth Association, on a week, every weekend, there was... Um, you know, they, they used to kind of um, um, cook these huge pots of food, of hot food, um, with lentils and rice or with chicken. And they used to they, they used to make these small containers, and they used to go down Charing Cross, and 
you would be amazed that out of these corners that you can't even see, people used to pop up. A lot of youngsters, a lot of uh, middle-aged, a lot of elderly people, a lot of ex-soldiers um, suffering from PTSD, a lot of women who have been abused um, coming out, a lot of teenagers who have been thrown out of the homes. People from all walks of life used to come out um, because they wanted, uh, you know, they were able to, to you know, get um get, get uh, some some hot food which which was prepared by this youth association which and and uh, and maybe you know even get some blankets um and uh, and uh, and sometimes you know seek sometimes it's just um good to have that shoulder or that another separate voice um to listen to um and 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 to uh, to make you know to make one feel that you are human and your voice is being heard or if you're able to talk to someone um and uh, you know um and 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 to maybe maybe get that self assurance um that that things uh, will be okay um, before we carry on on to this um, his holiness the fifth caliph of the promised messiah and the head of the amni muslim community um, Hazrat Mirza Masur Ahmad Mirla strengthened his hand um, over the years in, in in his different addresses has you know addressed every single um, challenge societal challenges that um, countries around the world have faced um, and this and you know this is another um, um, avenue where His Holiness has spoken um, uh, you know how to solve um, challenges challenges which are faced by societies from you know, across the world. Um, as I said, this is not uh, a problem which is, um, and you know, faced by just and third world countries. You know, you sometimes you you think and read these stories and you think to yourself, we're talking about homelessness, so we must be talking about a third world country like India, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Mexico. You know, countries where, where you know Venezuela or or even in Africa where you know economies are are are, are non-existent you know, comparatively to Western. Nations, but most of these stories that we talk about are in the the, the Western world. So let's go and listen to what His Holiness um, um, said um, in in one of his addresses. Accordingly, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, whether directly or whether through Humanity First or otherwise, has a long history of serving humanity, of providing opportunities in offering comfort and help to people who are living impoverished lives. We seek no praise and no reward for such efforts because we are merely doing what our religion has taught us to do. Our motivation and our desire to serve others is driven entirely by the teachings of Islam. The guiding light for any true Muslim is the Holy Quran, which has which was revealed to Islam's founder, the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him. Time and again, the Holy Quran has instructed Muslims to serve mankind and to fulfill the needs of those who are suffering or are deprived in any way. It requires Muslims to be selfless and consumed by a love for others. It requires us to be ever ready 
to make sacrifices for the sake of the peace and well-being of other people. For example, in chapter 3, verse 111, Allah the Almighty has stated that a Muslim is he who enjoins what is good and forbids evil. <clears throat> Here the Quran explains that true Muslims are people who promote goodness, stay away from evil and injustice, and encourage others to do good deeds as well. Only a person who has a sincere love for humankind and feels the anguish of God's creation can be caring and sympathetic in the way the Quran desires. Such profound love for humanity is only possible if your heart is pure and free from malice and selfishness. In chapter 2, verse 84 of the Holy Quran, Allah the Almighty instructs Muslims to speak kindly at all times, to be considerate of the feelings of other people, and to love and protect vulnerable members of society, such as orphans, children, or those living in poverty or destitution. Thereafter, in chapter 51, verse 20, the Holy Quran states that the, that the hallmark of a true Muslim is that he should care for all of God's creation and should comfort and support those in need, whether they seek their help or not. Hence, it is not enough for a Muslim to wait until someone asks for help. Rather, it is his duty to recognize the suffering of others and to make whatever sacrifices are required in order to help them overcome their challenges or troubles. Further, in chapter 90, verse 15 to 17, Muslims are instructed to feed the hungry, to show empathy and love to orphans, and to help anyone in need, especially those mired in poverty and or, uh, or who are defenseless and weak. Muslims are taught to be the ones who comfort and love those people who have been failed by society and to carry the weight of their burdens on their own shoulders. Muslims are duty-bound to help underprivileged people so that they can stand upon their own two feet and live with dignity and, the, and be freed from their desperate circumstances. In return, the Quran states Muslims will be rewarded with increased spirituality, which in turn will take them towards God Almighty and make them recipient of his prayer. Similarly, in chapter 2, verse 196, the Holy Quran states that if a person wishes to save himself from humiliation, degradation, and ruin, he must be kind, generous, and do good to others without expectation of anything in return. <clears throat> chapter 4, verse 37 of the Holy Quran states that Muslims should care for their neighbors and reiterates that, that it is the, the duty of a true Muslim 
to fulfill the rights of the needy and orphan. A new station, the voice of Islam, with live discussions, religion and culture. Understand the true teachings of Islam with the voice of Islam. And there we had uh, His Holiness, uh, the fifth caliph uh, of the promised Messiah, Hazrat Mirza Masrumal, His Holiness, uh, may Allah strengthen his hand, talking about the responsibilities of not just individuals, but organizations and community as, as mankind, you know, all collectively, how it is important that if we were to look after each other, then situations such as the ones we're discussing may not arise because if if you know these situations arise because there is that lack of compassion there is that lack of care there is that lack of um um uh, responsibility towards your 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 loved ones your neighbors your friends you know it's it's it, it's like um we we we've got to a point where we live in a society that we say all the right things and that's where the problem lies everybody is good with words but you know I always say to people remember it's a really old phrase that people use that words are cheap and the way the society is got has 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 become now is that they're living those words that words are cheap hold that thought Grab yourself a cup of coffee. We are coming up to the hour. We're going to go uh, to the 8 o'clock uh, morning news. And we're going to continue briefly with this topic um, after the 8 o'clock news break. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Good morning and welcome back to Monday Morning Breakfast Show with myself, Kayum, and the time is 08.07, 8th of August 2022. It is the morning after the UK annual convention where 30,000 people got together and rejuvenated and recharged and soaked in the spirituality of this fantastic event that was held in Alton in Hampshire and so many people after so many years actually got to see physically see His Holiness the fifth caliph of the promised Messiah Hazrat Mirza Masuram and Mirla strength in his hand you know people say oh but you see him on, on video and virtual it's not the same I promise you it's not the same uh, take my word for it. Um, we are talking about homelessness. And just before the break, we I was talking about how people say the right things because they think that is the way to go forward and that's what people want to hear. But we've got to a time where people say the right things, but they don't do them. They don't walk the talk. You know, in the olden days, they say, you know, I, I walk the walk and I talk the talk and walk, talk, talk, walk, whatever the phrase is. I'm sure you will call in and correct me. In fact, please do call in and correct me. Oh two oh eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. You know, yeah. If you don't, if you don't agree with me, give me a call or throw me a message on any of our social media platforms. That Voice of Islam UK. I would love to hear from you. 
I would love to hear for you to tell me, look, no, this is not the way it is. You're looking in a very negative way towards a society. But that is what I see sometimes when you see these kind of reports where, you know, again, I'll repeat it. You need to kind of put it into context. We are living in one of the most richest countries in the world. And we're talking about homelessness and poverty and people. People in this country are dying because they haven't got enough money to pay a gas bill, electric bill. You know, it goes. It takes. It takes the mind back to these, to other countries where they have something called load shedding. They don't actually have any power. So if they don't have any power, they're not going to be able to. You know, they're not going to have to worry about paying a bill. Are we getting to that point? Really? I, I I hope and pray to God we don't get to that point. But it doesn't matter if you have the utility, you know, access to it. If you can't pay for it, it's more or less the same thing. If you can't pay for it, you're not going to be able to use it. And again, people will m- try and make you feel better and they will talk about the correct policy, that this is the right way to do it, and they will appeal to the community and to the people. And look, the beauty of Islam, Islam Ahmadiyya, you know, if is is this is what it's all about. The Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was a uh, was a was a you know embodiment of the Holy Quran. The Holy Quran was words of God Almighty, and they would have stayed just words had not Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, um, not lived those words and just said it. What he did was he physically lived everything that God Almighty commanded. But what happened after the demise, after the passing of the Holy Prophet and after the the the, 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 fourth, the, the righteous caliphates, uh, the divine caliphate after the Holy Prophet of 30 odd years, Muslims and people forgot. They changed things, innovations came, customs were built, traditions took over, um, and, and Islam was changed. And and but then the Holy Prophet did prophesy a time that it will it will be a time when Muslims will forget, people will forget God, people will you know mosques will be full of people yet they will be devoid of faith, and that is a time when a man will come, you know just after the news I played this filler this this where where it talks of of um, you know. A man who will come, the man the whole world has been waiting for. Hindus are waiting for it. Buddhists are waiting for it. Zoroaster are waiting for it. Christians, Jews, Muslims are waiting for him. And the Messiah is that one person. And Hazrat Mazagulam Ahmed of Qadian, on whom be peace, who we claim is the, the promised Messiah, um, is that man who came over, just over 100 odd years ago. Um, and 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 established the community Islam Ahmadiyya, and he revived this. This the Ahmadiyya Muslim community is a, is the revival movement. It is it is uh, it practices the authentic Islam that is written in the Holy Quran. That's, that's our guidelines. We don't we don't need to uh, to quote you this book and that book or this sage or that um, uh, you know um, that saint or this holy person. No. Even when we talk about His Holiness, he, His Holiness tells us this is what's written in the Holy Quran. This is what was um, um, narrated or this was how the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, lived. The examples that are given are based on the Holy Quran, which is which has factually been proved, even by non-Muslims, that it is, it is, 
it cannot be but anything else it is a word of god and you know people from all other faiths and cultures and communities and academics who have read about the holy prophet may peace and blessings of allah be upon him have said similar things and and accepted the fact that this man was not just a man he was uh, embo- he was an embodiment of perfection he was a perfect human being he lived the words of god so going back to what i was saying it isn't just words that matter you have to live those words and when we talk of poverty and homelessness we need to go out and help let's not sit there and wait for governments and organizations and or, or look to blame we live in a society now that we think the solution is to blame someone it isn't a solution is to physically go out there and do something as an individual action always starts from one person and one you know and and that action is it's got to be come from it comes from from you within it is about me myself and i if you want to be selfish be selfish in that sense that you think you know what i'm going to go out there and make a difference and i'm going to go out there and maybe uh, talk to someone or i'm going to go out there and i'm going to um to 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 maybe feed a person or i'm going to go out there and and to give some money or to or give some food to uh to uh, to the to the food bank or i'm going to go out there and contribute uh, within the community these are all the things that 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 i get promoted within the amnia muslim community not because those are these are just community events no that is teachings of the holy quran these are teachings of 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 the holy prophet may peace and blessings of allah be upon him teachings which were revived by the promised messiah on whom be peace as the allah muhammad who 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 said no let forget you've got into too much worldly things you've got you've gone astray you know you you're thinking you've turned everything's into politics no you've got to take it back to authentic humanity which is you know fulfilling the rights of god and fulfilling the rights of mankind his creation how can you love the you know how can you not love the creator if you love his creation it goes hand in hand you're listening to breakfast show with myself kayum jibbering on and if you want to call me and tell me why and and what am i saying which is wrong or which is right then give me a call i want to hear from you in 02086877878 or you can throw a message on our social media platforms at voice of islam uk or you can email us on www via our website www.voiceofislam.co.uk um so what role should governments and social workers play so the cause of homelessness worldwide shows a pattern of governments not actively ensuring that role is social protection affordable housing um and yeah allows housing market to become more expensive causing cost of living to rise up and some of the reasons why homelessness not has been eradicated i mean you know a lot of governments they they make all these these fantastic new developments um and uh, what what they forget is that people who are uh, you know who have challenging incomes meaning they don't they, it, it's not affordable then the the pricing that they charge for a lot of these so-called social housing projects need to be reflected it needs to be reflected in that um and uh, and again this goes back to if you're going to say we're going to help you then then help them in a way that actually benefits them 
instead of uh, promising the earth and delivering nothing. Um, you're listening to myself, Kayum, on Breakfast Show. We're going to take a very quick break. And when we come back, we're going to go on to our next segment of the morning, which is all about the Rwandan policy. Um, controversial topic. You are either for it or against it. If you want to give me a comment um, or if you want to contribute to the show, give us a call 0208-687-7878. Or you can um, join us on our social media platforms at Voice of Islam UK or you can um, visit our website www.voiceofislam.co.uk um, and you can email us via our website. Do stay tuned. We're going to be right back after a very, very short break. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Welcome back to Monday Morning Breakfast Show with myself, Kayum. It's 8.21 on the 8th of August 2022. Going on to our next story of the morning, which is Rwanda asylum policy. MPs say there is no evidence that this plan works. The gist of this story, which appeared in Huffington Post, um, is that uh, will the attempt to deter migrants crossing the channel work? Many migrants use a dangerous method of crossing the channel to reach the United Kingdom. And to tackle this government is looking into schemes, but many accuse them of only uh, planning but not clear evidence of what what will work. Um, again, <laughs> this goes back to what we were talking about earlier. You know, talking and loads of things, but doing nothing uh, or doing the wrong thing. So according to this article published in the Huffington Post, the United, government, the, the United Kingdom's government uh, plans to send migrants to Rwanda appears to have gone unnoticed. Um, has it? Um, by those attempting to cross the channel. Yes, it has. There is no clear evidence it will work. MPs have said um, that, uh, you know, of course, th- this is a policy which, you know, um, people, uh, MPs across the board, uh, you know, even in uh, the Conservative government themselves, they are not happy that this is uh, this is a policy. It doesn't reflect well on on, on uh, the ethos of conservatism. Um, a lot of people have said this is more populism, and and the government is is kind of pandering to the the, the extreme right um, because uh, because uh, you know they they think and they know that they're in trouble and they need to do something to ensure that in two years when uh, the election does happen that uh, they have. Uh, maybe an element of a chance to to give a fight uh, to the opposition, and the opposition is not just Labour. Uh, a lot of people make this mistake; they forget that this country has more than um, one party or two party. There's Conservatives, there is Labour, there is Liberal Democrats, there is Green, um, and there are other Independents, and and a lot of people, um, you know, undermine um, or misjudge or. Uh, they 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 don't realise the importance of things like the green the, the, you know organisations and parties like the Green Party, how how important environment and the climate is to the world now in everything we do, um, and if one was to look at patterns around the world where, um, you know, parties like Liberal Democrats and Green parties and even one if one was to go to North you know you cannot ignore the Scottish Nationalist Party, all of these parties. Um, 
um, you know, have uh, ample chances to, uh, to to create coalitions if need be. Uh, you know, it's something we have uh, had experience before. Um, it's a norm across the world in a lot of countries. Um, and uh, these kind of policies, which we are talking about, um, has a, uh, you know, has, has a very uh, stark effect uh, on how people um, look at, look at uh, um, and parties that they are voting for. So the Rwanda policy was announced in April uh, with Prime Minister Boris Johnson saying action was needed to stop vile people smugglers. Uh, however, no migrants have yet um, to be seen uh, to the East African country. Nobody has been sent as yet. I remember there was this attempt um, um, and uh, there was so much commotion with uh, people going to court and all these different uh, um, courts were being, uh, you know, here, local, regional, even European courts were were were, were being uh, um, contacted and, and cases were being filed and to the best of my knowledge, and I think uh, everybody is aware that no one has yet uh, to be uh, sent to Rwanda. I think it was 14th of June when this happened. Uh, and as I said, there was a series of legal actions. Um, and they actually, in fact, there was a ruling from the European Court of Human Rights and that the flight was cancelled. More than 14,000 migrants have crossed the Channel small boats this year, including 442 on Monday. 11th of June alone, 11th of July alone. So, you know, what two, three weeks ago, and the Home Affairs Committee said the Rwanda announcement had not been effective. The total for 2022 could be as high as 60,000. I mean, you, there were, you know, it's one thing I fail to understand is how this narrative that keeps on going that this will stop the traffickers. It won't. It doesn't. It you know it in fact you you're you're kind of giving them so much so much importance that there's there there you know your uh, since your announcement of of um um since since your announcement of uh, 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 you know trying to curb these these uh, these traffickers and leaders and gangs and whatnot the business has increased um, and so it's not having the affected policy that. Uh, that that needs to be had. Uh, a member of Parliament, Diana Johnson, chair of the Home Affairs Committee, said that this appears to have gone unnoticed um, by migrants. That the fact that, uh, that this policy is coming in, the the Commons Homes Affairs Committee also accused ministers of looking for radical new policies that might make good headlines. Again, this goes back to what we were talking about earlier. It's about populism, and it's about what looks good on the front page. And said the greatest deterrent to Channel Crossing would go. Uh, would be to stop migrants from ever leaving France. It said in its report, much more clarity is required on the new plan to relocate some migrants from the United Kingdom to Rwanda. There is no clear evidence that the policy will deter migrant crossings. The military took charge of the operation in April, something due to be reviewed in January. Um, The committee's inquiry said the government's response to the crisis is characterised by in attention and poor decision-making, which had exasperated problems and undermined public confidence in the asylum system and border control. The inquiry recommended the government negotiates with France on introducing further preventative measures on the continent and sets up UK asylum assessment centres there. Um, 
the Home Office demonstrates what uh, steps it will take to protect the well-being of those to Rwanda and carry out research to inform future policy on why migrants make the dangerous crossing because there is no reliable data. There is this this notion that people think, oh, United Kingdom is the place everybody wants to go to because it's got the best social welfare system in the world. The what, what, what's the word? These you know the the these uh, these people use uh, freeloaders. Uh, they want to freeload. They're, you know, England is a soft touch. No, it's not. UK has got one of the um, lowest paid um, um, social welfare system in 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 developed world, in the Western world. In fact, Europe and this country that people keep on uh, talking about, um, um, France, that where they're coming from, France has a much, much, much more better uh, social welfare system than the United Kingdom. So I can assure you, these people do not come or want to risk their lives, their what their their families' lives or their children's lives, just um, just because you think, um, you know, it, it, the mind boggles that what are you thinking that you think, um, <coughs> excuse me, that these people are going to, uh, these people are going to risk the lives of their children, their loved ones and their own for the sake of what, 100, 150 quid a week? Come on, wake up. Wake up, people. This is not the reason why people cross. People cross because of desperate measures, because of desperate situations. But you know what? I'm sure you're sick and tired of listening to what I am saying. Let's go and talk to someone who knows what they're talking about. We have with us uh, Hanan Ashe, who is founder and executive director of Goodwill Caravan. Good morning. Welcome. Asalaamu Alaikum and peace be on you, Hanan. Wa Alaikum Asalaam. Good morning. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for taking time out and coming on to the breakfast show this morning. Um, Hanan, can you give us a brief overview about the works of Goodwill Caravan, please? Sure. Um, Goodwill Caravan was founded in 2015 when all of this noise started on the news. People started noticing predominantly from Syria, people were saying, coming over to Turkey and Greece and France. It's a humanitarian charity. We work with uh, legal, medical, shelter, integration, transport for refugees, primarily in Greece, mm-hmm. uh, the borders and inland and Europe, also Libya and the UK. And the whole idea is to help power refugees with the information that they need so that they don't fall prey traffickers and, and smugglers and, and any exploitation really so so, so since the beginning of uh, you know this this fantastic uh, organization in helping people what changes have you noticed in the numbers and the status of refugees since since your work started the changes are many and frequent um, in Greece for example which is where goodwill caravans headquarters are um, we see changes in the asylum law by the Greek government as often as once every three months mm-hmm. for nonprofit organizations, NGOs, but also for the asylum law itself uh, that was uh, established in Greece. So often the lawyers and refugees are caught off guard, not knowing that, for example, their interview is no longer in this location, it's in that location. And if these people miss their, they're stuck for another three to seven years in Greece, which is when they are more likely to become prey to 
traffickers and smugglers and things like that. Now, the numbers are are continuing to grow. They have not stopped regardless of any changes in law in the UK, for example, or in Europe. They continue. Now, these changes you mentioned, I mean, this, the, the, are they not self-defeating? I mean, doesn't the government want people to be uh, kind of uh, legitimized within their statuses in these countries? Or is that the case that they don't want them legitimized and they want to just deport? Which, again, is is another uh, a, a long time before, before you know, these kind of legal actions take. So what are they achieving by these constant changes? I mean, I don't want to get into politics, but what governments, <laughs> they keep changing in the UK and in Greece. Um, fortunately, there are pushbacks, call them, in Greece mm-hmm. all the time. Um, I, I can personally see from seven years, Goodwill Caravan working seven years in Greece and in Europe, that the Greek government are trying to help refugees. They are creating refugee camps, help them many, in fact on the mainland and on the borders. However, there are, there's a high corrupt system in Greece. I mean, you see this everywhere, right? Yes, you There's do. a high corrupt system in Greece, in the military and in the police, where you see these pushbacks, and sometimes they make the news, sometimes they don't. However, there is a lot of money that was funneled from the EU to, for example, Greece and other countries to help them support refugees. So... The reality is, perhaps one might say, and I need to be really careful with my words. I fully appreciate that. It, that. Is, it is of their benefit to mm-hmm. um, to have a refuge in a detention center for many years. Yeah, I, and I, I, I understand where you're coming from. I mean, this uh, this is something that happens across the world. I mean, you're right. This isn't just uh, you know we're not uh, you're not looking to signal out, uh, single out uh, Greece here, but you know they have taken the brunt. Um, I, I sometimes do look at countries like Greece and Italy, and I think they have kind of taken the brunt of of a lot of the refugees, which which makes me want to which makes me ma- makes me think that in United Kingdom we talk about numbers, yet in reality the numbers United Kingdom actually accommodates is minuscule compared to other countries, is it not? It, it really is, and I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, the numbers keep changing, and if we are to look at the difference between the pledges that the United Kingdom has taken to take on refugees, for example, these numbers are 10,000. I mean, the highest I have, I've never heard a number past 100,000 in the United Kingdom. However, when looking at other crises that are awful, like mm. Ukraine, for example, the story is very different. Yes, definitely, and it it you can't help but think that there's disparity. Uh, you know, we 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 are on the we're on the fringes of discrimination here. We, you can't help but think that is that not the case, or is that just me? I know it's not just you, and I think that awful crisis started in in Ukraine that has impacted both people in in both countries. Yes, uh, and many other countries that. Many charities in uh, that we know and in Europe are saying that our refugees have the wrong profile now. Yes. That they don't look the way that they need to look in order for them to receive the help that has been flooded internationally for them. And that's really, I don't think it's in your head at all. Now, could you kind of give us some examples? I mean, 
I get tired of listening to a lot of these people who talk about how these people are coming over um, because we are a soft touch or because of benefit systems and, and uh, you know, and I was just raising that question earlier that, you know, what kind of mindset would it be to think that these people are going to risk the lives, their lives, their loved ones' lives, their children's lives for, for a mere couple of hundred pound a week? So could you tell us an example or highlight the difficulties in the journey that takes place um, um, when these people are seeking refuge? God, that I, how many minutes do you have? Um, I'll try and summarize. The, the air, uh, the airwaves okay. are yours. <laughs> okay, so um, Goodwill Caravan. In in the past seven years that we have been operating in Greece and Europe, but also in yeah, we've heard some horrific stories, and most of these won't reach the news. I mean, you hear about the exploitation of refugees, traffickers, for example. I'll give an example of Greece. Many people know that if a refugee misses their asylum appointment, which is often, it can be 100, 200 kilometers away from a remote refugee camp where they have been placed with no access to transport, no access to a cash card, even a father or a mother, single mother, for example, with six children. These are examples that are lost. Hmm. trying to get to this camp, leaving the camp at 2 a.m. only to be mowed down on the highway trying to reach there. Wow. Now, if they do make it, th- these things were happening years ago, and the Greek government have made a huge effort to rectify this and to make sure that they can reach Central Athens in one way or another. Now, if they get there, they don't have the right information. The laws keep changing, hmm. for example or they listen to the wrong person. A lot of these refugees are illiterate. They can't read or write. I mean, if you think about refugees from Afghanistan, for example, and they miss their asylum appointment, which is often at 7 a.m., again, r- really far from where they are. They have three to five to seven years in Greece. Now, many people in the UK, the everyday Joe doesn't know that. Yeah. They ask, why do these people come here? Well, in their place. A woman with children in a camp that has organized crime members in it, abductions, rapes, what what have you. All these awful things happening. And a mother looks at her children, or a father looks at his children and says, okay, so we've missed our asylum appointment. I can't read. I can't write, for example. I can't work. I don't know where to work. I don't know where to get help. We're stuck here. And then they have their friends, brothers, neighbors, whoever, who is a trafficker, as a smuggler who says, come here, I'll put you on a five-star luxury ferry. All you need to give me is amount per child, and I'll get you to the UK safely where you will get everything that you need. The main issue here is that people don't understand what they go through, and when they arrive in Greece or Italy, for example, the main entry points for people coming from these countries, Yemen, Palestine, Syria, Afghanistan, wherever they're coming from, they're already tired emotionally and physically spent have the bandwidth to stay another three to five years in Greece. Well, it's absolutely it's horrendous, and and you know it it I can hear it just listening to the to 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 this account that you know I'm a father. I I think you know you you go uh, to to any length to ensure the safety of your children, yet they are looking they are finding safety in their children by taking the most dangerous route to ensure that their children are safe 
if if you mm-hmm. understand i mean that that the, the mind boggles the mind you know yeah. it, it it it's 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 just uh, crazy that that people um have been pushed to that limit that they think that safety is only in the most dangerous journey possible and that's what the that that's what their circumstances have pushed them into um what can what can governments do i mean we're talking about the rwandan policy and you're telling us about greece i mean and and it seems to me that greece with, with all you know this with all the challenges that greece already had with economics beforehand it seems that greece still seems to be doing some effective action to assist assist in one way or the other i mean what what can governments do to make relocation easier for those who have already been through so much hardship um you know it, it's uh, in this country they all talk about safe routes but what they don't actually tell people are that in reality they're closing down safe routes especially for people who come from certain areas so what else is is there available for governments to do I'm really glad that you asked that question because one of the most important things that governments can give but is hugely lacking in in all these countries is information hmm. the correct information not the information that refugees get off the refugee wire that's what organizations in Greece and Europe call it they get information that is incorrect about a five star luxury boat that they will hmm. get on and we all know what they look like yep. when they actually do get on them dinghies that don't function a, a few hundred meters into the sea they don't get the right information about their asylum so the answer to your question is a medium where they can access information easily yeah. not being lost in Greece or Italy or wherever they are and that makes them prey to exploitation. I mean, I've heard stories of parents having to sell a kidney. Wow. Often, this happens often in Turkey. I mean, they'll sell a kidney gladly, wouldn't you, for yeah. the safety of your children? children? Yeah. I would. I've got three kids myself. Yeah. I, I we've heard stories, awful stories. I mean, we've got a legal medical shelter, a goodwill caravan in Greece. and the shelter project is packed with women running away from honor killings because for example they were uh, utilized it's the morning so i don't want to get into too much yeah. detail just in case there are kids listening but so. they were uh, utilized uh, by a male member of the family for example to cross a checkpoint uh, they had to sell whatever they had that's not money their honor and then when they arrive in Greece for example this same man will call out a hit on them because they deserve to die, die. because they've yeah. dishonored the family and and there are so many stories like that so to answer your question information would stop this exploitation and trafficking whether it's uh, organ trafficking or, or 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 you know sex trafficking or worse absolutely madness it's you know it's also i i sometimes wonder it's it's also not this 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 information that you're talking about that gets to these people yeah. it's 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 not just them it needs to be also information that gets given to people here we it's not something that gets spoken about enough because you talked about honor killing and and you talked about how this system you, you would never put those two things together until someone who has seen or heard these things happen even for someone like me i'm saying i know about honor killing but i would never have thought something which is i would never connected to trafficking 
So there needs to be this holistic information drive for people who are who who we are looking towards to assist, and also an information drive for people who we are looking to assist to say, look, there needs to be a medium, there needs to be a middle ground where people can, and minds can meet, where where can both can understand each other. Yeah, absolutely. There there needs to be more awareness raised, and uh, Goodwill Caravan are trying to. Uh, to create a, a platform, a website that can reach people all over the world, whether it's in Pakistan, Yemen, Lebanon, any safe country where refugees arrive, mm-hmm. to give them the information that, for example, nine-year-old Bilal from Pakistan, these are real examples, does not have the right of asylum in Greece and will likely be detained and deported and will likely be a victim of trafficking. So to the mother in Pakistan who sold everything she has and the father to send Bilal for a better life, Bilal doesn't have a better life. So how can, so people, be Go ahead. How can people help, Hanan? How can they contact people, you? <laughs> people can, well, uh, I mean, you can get on goodwillcaravan.com and, uh, and help with with donations, but also with volunteering, if they wish. Um, we've got a lot of volunteering opportunities out in Greece, and we've got volunteering opportunities here in the UK. Uh, the most thing that we need at this time, I know it might sound obvious, is raising awareness, but also donations for our projects. Our legal project in particular for family reunification of unaccompanied children there are so many organizations in Greece that are amazing, that are doing the same work that we're doing. The thing about us at Goodwill Caravan is that our model is holistic. So we have in-house legal, medical, shelter for women and children, for example, integration, all of it. So an asylum process that can take seven years with us would take six months to a year and a half, which might still sound like a lot, but it reduces the likelihood of a little boy from Pakistan, for example, or from Afghanistan or wherever they're coming from, or a girl becoming uh, just exploited by, by traffickers. It's it's awful. The stories, I don't know how they don't reach here. It's 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 sad. It is sad. Um, and we will try our best to make sure that we raise awareness of these topics and, and make sure these are the topics that you're talking about, you know, in your lunch times, you. in schools, or <laughs> even, even when you're sitting together with family. Um, Hanana, I just yeah. want to thank you for taking time out this morning and coming on to the breakfast right. show. I wish you a fantastic day ahead. May peace be with you. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you. You too. Alaikum assalam. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Let's go on to straight to our next guest of the morning. We have got with us Harry Reid, um, who coordinates the policy and advocacy work for a number of refugee and asylum organisations in the Thames Valley area. She is passionate about campaigning for refugee rights and has previously volunteered for a range of refugee support initiatives in the United Kingdom, France and Belgium. Harry moved into the third sector after completing a PhD at the University of Birmingham, where her research concerned with activist and grassroots voluntary response to the refugee crisis in 2015-2016. Good uh, morning, um, Harry, and uh, thank you for taking time out and coming on to the Voice of Islam Breakfast Show. Should I call you Dr. Harry or Harry? (laughs) Just Harry is fine, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for taking time out. Um, Harry, could you tell us more about Asylum Welcome? Yeah, of course. So Asylum Welcome provides a holistic service for refugees, asylum seekers and vulnerable migrants in Oxfordshire. 
So we provide a whole range of services, including immigration advice, asylum advice, and then more general advice about benefits, housing, that type of support that people need. Um, We also assist people finding education and employment opportunities. And then we have the kind of real basic support, like um, we have a food bank, we provide bicycles, laptops. So everything from the the really kind of specialist immigration support to just the basic needs that people have, food, shelter. Harry, this one question comes to mind because I always want to answer people who throw this at me. Do refugees come to United Kingdom for the social welfare? Hmm. (laughs) I understand why people ask this question, but unfortunately, the UK doesn't provide as strong and comprehensive welfare support as other European countries do, including the Netherlands, Sweden, Germany. So if refugees truly were looking for the place that gives them, you know, the the most benefits, then other European countries would be better for them. Most definitely. Thank you for answering that. I mean, so what's the reason more and more NGOs and charities are having to work on behalf of refugees, whereas it is technically the the, the responsibility of, of governments to in, ensure that safe passages and, and provisions are provided for refugees? Mm. I think there's a range of reasons. I think specifically at the moment it's to do with the fact that when refugees come to the UK they're much more diversely spread around different regions, different areas. So previously um, there would have been certain relocation areas within the UK that people would have gone to. But now because there's a new system of asylum hotels, when people arrive they go into hotels, Um, Ukrainians are living in people's homes, Afghans are also living in hotels around Oxfordshire and the new resettlement schemes are placing refugees within certain local authority areas. It just means that it's an issue that now affects the whole of the UK rather than specific areas. So local support is really much more important and local authorities aren't always as well prepared as they should be to provide that support. So that's where charities step in and try and give the service that for example, Asylum Welcome does in Oxfordshire and lots of other organisations do in other areas. Now, you mentioned local authorities sometimes are caught unaware or are not prepared. I mean, is that because the provision and the funding isn't there? And similarly, do governments fund sometimes charitable organisations or is that just funding coming from the, the, the public? It really depends on the organisation and it depends how political that organisation wants to be and how it wants to position itself in relation to the government. Some organisations are very strict that we don't accept government funding because we want to have complete freedom to, to call out the government when we see... OK, so, so, so there's no restrictions on how the money's channelled? So it really depends on the programme. The, okay. And different programmes are... There's a difference in how well-funded they are. So the Ukrainian program is relatively well-funded. Local authorities get a certain pot of money for each Ukrainian that comes into their area under the Homes for Ukraine scheme. Um, Similarly, there is support attached to the Afghans who have come to the UK under the evacuation scheme and um, refugees who come to the UK through official resettlement routes. There's also pots of money attached to. So it's part of a big new concept of the two-tier refugee system where some refugees are considered group one, you know, um, 
genuine refugees and others are considered group two who are the secondary um, so-called illegal refugees. Do you think the government is doing enough to mitigate the refugee crisis? Um, it's a huge question <laughs> and <laughs> I think that there is so much more that needs to be done and if anything we are moving in the wrong direction. Um, I think it's clear we're becoming more isolationist, we're focusing more internally when really what we need, if there's any chance of making the situation better for refugees globally, is to think internationally, work with other governments and try and put something in place um, which isn't only about shifting responsibility for refugees onto different countries because more often than not it means that the countries adjacent so, for example, Lebanon or Jordan or um, Romania or wherever it might be, take the brunt of the responsibility and it's not fairly shared. You, now, you, you correctly said we're, we're going down the route where we are preferring isolation compared to, to you know, whereas the solution to some of these um, challenges in assisting refugees has to be collective. So... How do government, what is the way forward for someone like United Kingdom who have chosen to go down the isolation route? I think it's a really great question. It's something that refugee organisations are grappling with because we can make our voices heard, we can generate public support, we can campaign, but at the end of the day, it's the government that makes the choices Hmm. and we just have to try and be best reflected in those choices. I think that we have to return to some kind of responsibility sharing agreement, which we did used to have as a member of the EU. There was something called the Dublin Agreement where, I mean, it wasn't perfect, but there was a possibility within there for family members to be reunited. So um, parents and children, you know, if one parent was in one European country and another their child was in a different country, there was a possibility for them to be reunited. That now no longer exists because um, we're no longer part of that European legislation. So that needs to be replaced with something. Now, we always tend to look to governments, organisations, charities, whereas in reality, I mean, something I was saying earlier, that as we, we have responsibility as individuals and we always talk the talk, but we never walk the walk. So if I want to help someone as an individual, to support a refugee or an organisation refugee, how do I walk the walk? What do I need to do? Mm. There's such a broad range of possibilities. So the first one is to, as I think you were saying to the previous guest, just with friends, family, talk about these things. Don't assume that people know, because something which we find time and again at working in the sector is things which are so obvious to us we forget that they might not be coming across to others. So just making sure that that awareness is there. And then particularly on things at the moment, like opposing the removal to Rwanda. How how does one oppose that? Is that like contact our MPs? Who do we contact if we want to say, look, hold on, I'm not happy about this policy? Yeah, definitely contact your MP. it's, It's always best to take an individual approach with MPs. So have a look at who they are first. Um, you know which party they're part of but Mm -hmm. 
also what their specific areas of interest might be. So, for example, you could have an MP who doesn't really speak up about refugee issues, but if they're really concerned with women's issues, then there's a crossover because women are going to be particularly vulnerable if they get removed to Rwanda. So it's kind of honing in on their specific areas of interest and linking them to the issue that we want to communicate. Fantastic. Dr. Harry Reid, thank you so much for taking time out and coming on to our show this morning. I wish you a fantastic day ahead. May peace be with you. Thank you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. And that was Dr. Harry Reid, you know, giving us some fantastic information about what work they're doing um, and what she's doing um, in the organisation Asylum Welcome (coughs) and and fantastic ideas about what we as individuals can do. But before, you know, um, we bring the show to an end, let's go and listen again to um, His Holiness Hazrat Mr. Musuram, the fifth caliph of the Promised Messiah, on what he had to say on the challenges faces facing um, um, people um, in, uh, in this particular topic. In today's world, we are passing through a challenging time. It is my belief that the peace of the world is the most pressing and crucial issue facing all of us today. During these challenging times, how can we cope with the situation? I believe it is imperative that all of mankind, irrespective of creed, caste or color, strives to uphold the basic human values of peace compassion, tolerance, and mutual respect. There is no room in the world for discrimination based on someone's beliefs, religion, or race. And so, both the state and religion itself must be free of all forms of prejudice. This is a very delicate issue and must be handled with extreme caution and care because if there is any resentment on the part of the local people, it could lead to an extremely dangerous chain reaction. The local citizens could become hostile to the refugees and in turn this could lead to the marginalization of the immigrant uh, immigrant population and that sense of isolation could leave some refugees vulnerable to radicalization by extremists. In this way, an extremely dangerous vicious cycle could emerge, threatening the peace and, uh, and security of this nation. If, God forbid, such extremists were able to radicalize even just a few people, it would gravely threaten and undermine this nation's peace, security and prosperity. And there we had uh, His Holiness talking about the other side of, uh, uh, of the coin where, you know, assistance and or the lack of assistance could leave uh, could lead to disastrous uh, um, um, situations. You have been listening to myself, Kayum, 
um, on Monday morning breakfast show. Um, it is coming up to the hour. Just want to thank uh, Amber Kamal, uh, Mahnab Rahman, Saira Ahmed and Faiza Chima for today's show. Um, I want to thank all of our guests for taking time out. I want you to forgive any shortcomings on my part. And until we meet again, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all.